This is LP Giobi, and you are listening to Behind the Decks. and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Decks, a vent podcast series hosted by me, Freddie Cocker. Each pod, I check in with DJs and producers from the UK and beyond, discussing their musical journeys, their artistry, and most importantly, the person behind the decks. My special guest for this episode of Behind the Decks listeners is absolutely smashing it right now in the UK dance music scene. She hails from Dundee in Scotland, and don't worry, she isn't Jack Master or Calvin Harris. Her name is Amy L., Amy is a DJ, producer, singer and songwriter and is classically trained as well, if that wasn't enough strings to her bow. Her latest single, Down With Me, has had radio support from DJ Jaguar on her Radio 1 Introducing Show and she's the current cover artist on Spotify's UK House playlist. Sexism in dance music, grief, studying at Paul McCartney's Music School and how to prioritise self-care are all on the menu. Get yourself comfy and have a listen as I go Behind the Decks with Amy L. Amy, welcome to Behind the Decks. Thanks so much for coming on, taking the time out of your, I assume, very busy schedule to chat to me, even during this post-lockdown society we are living in. First things first, how are you and how are you coping with this weird new normal, especially having moved to London quite recently, I believe? Yeah, so I did recently just move. I've been here about four weeks or so from Scotland. So it is different from Scotland, but doing well. It's a lot more thriving in London than it is in Scotland. But coping, I mean, what can you do? Just get in the studio and write. I mean, that's what I did in Scotland. But in London, yeah, I'm meeting more people that I've been meaning to cross paths with. So it's good. But socially, especially now with this 10pm curfew, what can we do, you know? So it's one of them. Have you found London to be less friendly than Dundee? Uh, good question. <laughs> Dundee is just different. London is more outgoing, I feel. When I go to events and stuff, there is just more people. So, I mean, I'm really enjoying it. The move needed to happen, but obviously it wasn't on the best terms with this whole pandemic happening. We've got a lot to get through and you've got such an interesting journey. So shall we just get started? Let's start the pod with your journey as Amy L. So firstly, how did your love affair with music begin? Why don't you tell me and the listeners about some of your favourite records growing up, your music idols, and then maybe how you first got into DJing and producing? So, I mean, I would love to have a great answer to this question because people ask me this. (laughs) Growing up, I didn't really have idols. I listened to a lot of different records across all genres. And I went to uni, studied music, and I got into DJing in my later years of uni because I got into a lot of dance music. So I didn't have favourite records growing up, but maybe next time I'll just make up some favourite records. (laughs) I could go with that. There's always a good spill you can make up for sure. I'm also sure this is a straightforward question, but where did your DJ alias come from? Another great question that I get asked, which again, I'd love to have a great answer for this one. The thing is, I was coming up with names. And so my name is Amy, obviously. Well, not obviously. You might not know that, but I wanted it to be genuine. And I was coming up with different names I could go with when I was putting this project out. And I needed it to be personal, you know, so I having Amy in it. So the L basically is just 
the L is there. It's basically just because I liked it. You know, I, I picked it because it went well. And then I was speaking to my manager, who's now my manager, wasn't the manager at the time. And he liked it. So I just went with it. And now it's me. It feels so natural to me now. And people actually still call me Amy. They address me in emails as Amy, even if they didn't know. So I'm a fan of it now. But Again, another answer I'd love to have a great answer to. I'm going to get this one out of the way now because I'm sure a lot of Scottish DJs get asked this question. How often do you get asked, do you know Calvin Harris, Dennis Sorter or Jack Master? Not often because, you know, a lot of people, when I speak to them, right, I probably do sound quite Scottish, but a lot of people don't actually think I sound Scottish. Do you think I sound Scottish? Like this is, yeah, probably. So I haven't been asked that often, but... Hey, we still have years to go. So this question will come up, probably. <laughs> Do you think that will be a sign of like notoriety when you finally get asked that question? Oh, of course. I'll feel like a sense of achievement. <laughs> you said to me off air that you are classically music trained. And that's what happened when you first started your music journey. Do you want to tell the listeners a bit about that? And when you first picked up an instrument as well, it was your cousin's guitar, I believe. Yeah, so I picked up my cousin's guitar when I was roughly around nine years old and I played Smoke on the Water that was the first tune it was left-handed guitar as well and yeah since then I was like yeah I want to do this I want to learn guitar so I was lucky enough to get some lessons with that and my teacher he was just amazing he had to move to Australia actually so he had to move there which wasn't that good so I started going to a summer school conservatoire in Glasgow so very classical finger picking just the whole shebang and yeah piano lessons as well so yeah it was all classical but I got into really just singing with a guitar writing a lot of folk music as well so I did a bit of everything really there was no dance music at this point though maybe just because I wasn't strongly producing but very cover singer songwriter stuff that I was doing. Do you want to tell the story about a fairly well-known artist called Michael Mara coming into your school and hand-picking you as a potential star? I mean, what impact did that have on you? Yeah, so he came into the school and a selected group were picked. One was me. (laughs) And we had to write... Basically, it was just a week getting off school and writing songs. So it was amazing. But, you know, throughout the week, I guess shone through to him. And he, I don't want to say picked a favourite because, you know, well, at the end of the week, basically, he sent a letter to the school. He mentioned me in the letter, which was really nice. But it was just writing songs for that week. And then at the end of the week, we performed them to the school and to other people. And I guess, I mean, out of the bunch, I went on to do, you know, a few people went on to do music but me writing songs when I guess it just boosted my confidence it's like I can actually do this and that's the moment when I thought you know what I can do music I can write songs and you know someone who's well in the industry is actually commenting that I'm doing it well so yeah it was really good this was like sort of the changing point for me it was after this that you went on to the very prestigious Liverpool Institute for Performing Arts which the one and only Paul Mc- Sir Paul McCartney I should say chairs what was that audition like to get in and what were your experience like there when you did get in? 
Lipa was a great school, mainly because everyone there has this passion and drive. There's loads of connections that you can get because there's producers there, there's dancers there, actors, everyone. The audition, I auditioned with vocals. And yeah, I hadn't done much because, you know, in Scotland, it's very classical. When we did our singing exams, it's like literally stand there, hands by your side. There's no commercial aspect to it. And, you know, I heard about Lipa from one of my mom's friends. So I was late in the audition process because I was late in auditioning. So I was actually auditioning with, I think was the foundation students from last year. So they all knew each other. So it was a little bit daunting because we got chucked into a room. We had to write a song and then we did, you know, our vocal one-to-one sort of like vocal exam. But it was fine. But obviously, you know, every audition, you're not excited to go in. Well, I'm not anyways. There's probably some people excited to do that. But it was my teacher from my high school and he really aided me and gave me confidence and took me from that like school sort of classical standing straight to actually like you can actually move about and enjoy it but yeah no Lippa was a great school for sure. We'll come on to this topic a bit later but just quickly I believe you wrote your dissertation on sexism in the music industry particularly amongst DJs why were you inspired to write about this and what did you find out in your research? So in Lepa, I was the only, well, female DJ there. I didn't actually know many other DJs. There's not a lot of that going around there, actually. And I switched my course to producing in my last year because I was doing a performing course. And then, yes, swapped to my last year. And there wasn't many females on this course. And throughout my whole time of being at Lipa, I always thought I had to sit in behind a guy producing. I guess it was ingrained in me that I didn't feel like I could do it. And then I was speaking to one of my flatmates who also went on to do the production course. And we kind of just said, you know what? We just need to do this ourselves because we're coming away from sessions and it's not sounding how we want to. I mean, I went like two, three years just like not getting the sound and thinking like, why am I not doing this myself? And it was a confidence thing. So when I got to third year and started producing and started getting good, results with it I was like you know what I need to actually look into this and I'm so positive to get more females or more just anyone thinking that they can produce because it's not even just females just people don't have the confidence to do it themselves and producing is one thing where you're never going to be perfect in doing it there's always something else to learn and people think that they've learned everything then god let me have a session with them because there's just so much to learn so what I found out in my dissertation anyways was that was the thing there's a lot of sexism in the industry to do with how maybe females are dancing behind the decks or people not believing that females can do it well I mean the first ever gig that I went to I was someone said to me they were like oh are you the DJ's girlfriend like just didn't and I was like god this is the first gig I just laughed to myself because I was like this was like one of my quotes I put in my dissertation but yeah no it was a lot of obvious things but a lot of just finding out how females think about it, how just the whole industry over. I mean, there's a whole massive discussion with it. We could go right into the deep, <laughs> deep things of that. One thing that LPGOB said to me on her pod was the importance of having women behind the scenes or behind the decks, literally. When it comes to engineers, producers, light technicians, all that sort of stuff, is that something you'd agree with in kind of challenging ingrained attitudes in the music industry? For sure, I think 
getting females behind the decks, behind lighting, everything. Because if you go to gig, there's never really female sound engineers. And it's just, I guess, letting females know that they can do it and picking it as a subject and not thinking, God, I'm going to be the only female in this class or I'm not going to do it as well as other guys. I mean, I think some girls are brought up to not believe that they can do it. And I definitely have found that when I started DJing, I was very... God, what does this do? How do I do this? Being perfect about it. And some guys, I mean, not every guy, because I've met guys who are exactly the same, but they just throw themselves on and they're like not mixing perfectly and all of this. And it's just, I guess, yeah, just believing that females can do it and getting more females into the industry means it's more balanced and less sexism will take place and stuff like that. Let's talk about some of your sounds and the mixes that you produce. So you definitely have a quite strong house influence as well as some tech jacking and other subgenres that you chuck in. You sprinkle a bit of techno and some other genres throughout your music. How would you describe your DJ or producing style and the types of records that you play in your sets? Is it quite fluid or do you have a specific niche? So anything that gets you grooving, <laughs> literally just big bass lines, love high energy stuff. That's what I've been producing anyways. But I'm always producing more things. I'm starting to do a lot more melodic stuff. Um, I'm really into Gorgon City's realm records at the moment, just their sound. So just, you know, keep the ears out because there may be a few releases. I'm not saying anything here or there, but I'm always writing. And the thing is with live sets, I read the audience. So if I fancy a track that has a bit of sax in it, groovy little bass line, I'll play that. But I don't technically maybe produce something as upbeat. I, mean, I tend to be a bit more classy. So that's why like Realm Records, all this is, is really my sort of go-to. But I am discovering and I think as well, I get caught up on genres and I think a lot of DJs do, a lot of producers that I speak to, it's like, I'm producing this, I'm doing this. And it's obviously important to have a sound. You know, if you hear a Camel Fat record, you're like, right, that's Camel Fat. But then sometimes, do you want that? I mean, like, I produce what I'm feeling at that moment and I try not to think of it too much. So I'm just producing everything here and there and we'll just see with the next releases and remixes. But live sets, for sure, it is what the crowd is feeling, what I'm feeling. I go with that. Do you want to tell me about the story of that first live set? You mentioned it a bit earlier and how you got referred to as the DJ's girlfriend. But do you want to talk about the wider story and the mental process you went through sort of before, during and afterwards with that post-set endorphin rush, maybe? So that was actually, I turned up with a guy who was DJing. So we were doing like a back-to-back session. And we turned up before just to talk about, I guess, music stuff. I hadn't met the guy before. So we were like, right, let's, let's have a drink and then let's go on the decks. And yeah, that's when the owners, obviously, they were like, oh, yeah, (laughs) the DJ's girlfriend. So we laughed at that. But I mean, the best thing probably to talk about is the first set I did. I had a residency in a bar and this was like on my own. I brought my decks there. Yeah, my first residency. So I was super nervous to do this. And me being like the perfectionist that I am. Actually, one thing I did because I just started DJing and you're going to laugh at this because (laughs) I um, basically made a full of the songs I wanted to play you know that's normal for a gig you know roughly what you're going to play going into folders in and out and stuff but for this first gig I had planned start to finish so it was a four-hour DJ set I had planned god knows how many songs their transitions for roughly maybe three hours right it was ridiculous and I was new to record box that's the system that I'm playing on 
And the morning I was like, right, I'm just going to look at these tunes again, you know, maybe get the last hour. And I deleted the folder. And I was like, this is typical. I was literally like stressing out. I was like, right, okay, so I've got no songs. I don't have the order. Actually, I don't even think it was in the morning. It was a couple hours before this gig. So I had to roll up to the gig, being nervous. It was the first time, like getting my decks into the system, making sure everything worked. But I pulled through. Do you know what's the best thing that's ever happened? Because now, I mean, I wouldn't plan out my transitions or the songs for a four hour set. But the next times that I was playing there, it was fine. And I didn't have to worry about over planning or any of this. And it was actually a good thing. So sometimes, you know, I walked away saying people need to put themselves in the deep end and actually throw themselves out there. And by planning a set as well, you're not reading the crowd. And mentally, that was a big one. But that was a funny time. I think I've answered your question there. I always do ask every DJ about a mistake they've made during a set, but you've basically answered that in that question as well. I've got many, many mistakes. One time as well, the DJ kit went on to like emergency loop because, and basically what that means is that like the song is basically looping and I had absolutely no idea. I think it's maybe one of my leads. They were dodgy or whatever. I mean, I had to turn the system on and off. I just had to go with that. Once you've had these mistakes, you don't care about other things. And you know what? It's about making mistakes. No one's perfect and just laugh it off. So yeah, when you make them, anything is possible. (laughs) What impact does DJing itself or producing have on your mental health when you are in that moment playing a great set? I'm yet to see you perform live, but the videos you post on social media, you're always having an absolute bop behind the decks. So I'm sure it's a, a positive experience for you. Yes, definitely. I mean, throughout this whole pandemic as well, I've been super strong on the socials and posting the DJ videos up and they're doing really well. And I just love people enjoying them. But, you know, for a live set, you cannot beat it. It's completely different. It's just an amazing feeling. Do you know what? Making people dance and me behind the decks and me enjoying it as well is just honestly, it's the best thing. And you really can't beat that. I mean, live streams, they're great, but you don't get that sense at all. So it's been hard to not have that. But soon. Soon, I hope. One thing I always try and break down on Pine the Decks, Amy, is the myth of the superstar DJ and people thinking that every producer or DJ is living that life. Why is it important we do that when it comes to producers and DJs like you and their mental health? And what are the realities that you can share with the listeners about it? Yeah, so this is a really, really good point. I mean, obviously, like Avicii, we take, for example, everything looks fine. And then it's not in social media. We post the best part. There's a lot more going on. And especially coming from a performing arts school and knowing people that have done well and knowing the background to as well, they're not doing so well, even though they're looking amazing on social media. So, of course, like I think if someone's doing well, they're not always doing well. That's not obvious to everyone. So, yeah, just to check in on people. I mean, one of my friends wasn't doing that well. And it's just checking in every so often and and messaging. Because performing arts life, it's not an easy life. Your go nine to five job, and I'm not saying that's easy. But it's a different sort of life that we pick and it's good. But there is ups and downs. So for sure, it's a hard one. You DJ part time. So I'm sure there are some intricacies and realities of doing that, which the listeners might not know about. Has it ever impacted your life positively or negatively? You know, partners, friends and having to prioritise time when it comes to weekends because you might be doing a set instead of just enjoying it. Well, I guess DJing is enjoying yourself as well. But DJing a lot of the time is work. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I'm kind of going through this at the moment, just like it's hard to always make a living from the music. And I know a lot of people who are in this position and a lot of people sack it in and they say, you know, I'm just going to go for this full time job. I'm not going to do this. And I'm 100% like, yes, I'm going for this DJ thing. And that does mean having part-time work. Sometimes there's freelance music stuff that I can do, producing for other people. But sometimes it's getting some shifts and bars and doing stuff that you don't like as much. And for sure, it's hard to balance it. But again, it's finding that balance and being motivated. And as well, believing in yourself. You know, if you go in to do a nine-to-five job then that's totally fine but you're not probably gonna have time to do the DJ thing so yeah I'm putting all my efforts into the DJing and hopefully I mean it's working well so far so we'll we'll just see there's so many amazing female DJs smashing it right now across a load of different genres in dance music so likes of B-Traits, Blessed Madonna, Jada G, Helena Half, and of course big friend of the pod LPGOB. You mentioned to me off air Amy that Annie Mack has been a long-time inspiration for you. Is she someone you aspire to be from a career perspective and I guess how she carries herself as she is so authentic and as lovely as you can get in the music industry which is a rarity I feel. Yeah I mean growing up I didn't know many female DJs let alone guy DJs as well. I I really wasn't surrounded in the whole dance music industry and you know even in uni I wasn't and you know I knew Annie Mack because obviously she's a big radio DJ it wasn't DJing it was just for this female strong influence in the dance music industry and I guess as you said like this lovely so I mean I've never met her so (laughs) who knows but how she presents herself and that really yeah inspired me but you know what the main thing as well right now is meeting other females in the industry whether that's on Instagram, whether they've got not a lot of followers, whether they have lots of followers, is people that have that passion. And I just, I mean, I love connecting with everyone and as well answering any questions that people have. Like I get a lot of people messaging me for help or advice. And I absolutely love that because I will always answer and I want to inspire and they inspire me as well. So Yes, Annie Mack, but as well, a lot of other female DJs. I could list them off. Basically, everyone that is doing it and has that passion inspire me in different ways. Just on that mentor point, is that something that you enjoy doing when it comes to kind of female DJs connecting with you or asking you for advice? And is it something that you'd like to do more of? I guess you have to prioritize yourself at certain times, but helping others is are something that I love to do. I'm sure it probably is for you. Yeah, I mean, in the future, I'd love to do more of it. And we'll just see. I don't have the time to, to set anything up now, but... I just would love more people to be able to know that they could message me and I could give them advice back for sure. I enjoy it. As we mentioned earlier, sexism in the music industry, I guess, is finally being addressed in some way through things like Me Too. But it's the everyday sexism that a lot of people don't see and women will obviously be able to attest to. This is something that you wanted to talk about. So if you could and if you felt comfortable, tell me about some of the perhaps overt and covert sexism you faced as a female DJ. I know there was a few examples you wanted to share around social media. And I think it was quite eye opening for me to hear that. So why don't you talk on that and I'll let you speak as, for as much as long as you want. Social media. So 
if I'm posting a DJ video, and I used to get this a lot, a little while back, me behind the decks, I'd get a few comments. And there's always comments saying, you know, she's not DJing. Or one of them was like, the sound is too perfect. She's not DJing that. And I'm like, feel like answering like, yes, I bought a DI box. It's going straight into the phone. These people don't actually know what they're speaking about. And it really annoys me. But I got some comments here and there. And I just thought, you know what, just brush them off. But it makes me sad because... I know other female DJs that get this and it really, really affects them. And with me, it's just like, well, whatever. Do you know Do you know what I mean? Like, you're always going to get this. And do you know what? Any comments, they're good, bad or good, because people are interacting. But obviously, don't want loads of comments. And now, do you know what? Now I don't really get it, but I used to. I used to. And, you know, other things sexism is just like sometimes guys in the industry will treat you differently will want to play your music because you're maybe a female and they see ways in you know stuff like that so it's hard to sometimes say okay well are you playing this because you like my music or because you want to go catch a drink in a bar do you know what I mean so it's sometimes hard but I think it's having that presenting yourself well and that's another thing as well that I think is a big fact is that sometimes when I post photos I'm thinking like do I have too much makeup on here am I presenting myself in a way that I want to be looked at But I find that really hard as well because that's me. You know, I go out, I wear this makeup, I'll look like this. And when I'm posting a photo, I'm sometimes thinking, God, are people looking, are wanting this photo because it's the music or are they wanting this photo because it's a good photo? Do you know what I mean? But um, my Instagram now, everyone who's following me, my interactions on the music posts, and I love that so much. But it is an issue, but one you just need to be aware of and you know, other females out there not to get caught by the bad comments because it happens, you know. Just on that, do you think there is a pressure on female DJs to sexualise themselves or on the opposite end of the spectrum, as you said, perhaps tone it down in inverted commas, which is like my most hated phrase ever, but because they feel self-conscious that they won't be taken seriously if they do wear makeup? Some people obviously go and wear full makeup and dancing and it's too far and they're using that to their advantage for sure but not taken seriously but I mean definitely for me I do feel sometimes I do need to tone it down and I don't really I mean now I just post what I want but at the start I was very much thinking and you know there is still probably a part of me that does think no this photo wouldn't suit So yeah, I do think there is pressure and that's a shame sometimes. But again, it is what it is and it's finding that right balance for sure. Let's talk about the positive stories now. Are there any female DJs that you're friends with who you can turn to if you are struggling with your mental health or you want to talk about something that only would affect both of you? And does that sisterhood exist in dance music and have you been supported by it as well? Oh my God, for sure. There is just not every female DJ that are on socials. They are just so supportive. I could just name loads of people off, but I don't want to name people and forget people. So I'm not going to say any names in this whole podcast. But... I'm connecting with people from different countries that I've never met. And it's amazing, this whole sense of community. We're actively commenting on posts, sharing other people's posts. And you know what? If there was bad comments, 
I wouldn't feel, you know, insecure to give them a message or them to give me a message. I wouldn't be like, oh, my God, why why is she messaging me? It's just such, such a community. And that's why I'd love to set something up in the future, because there's a sense of, yeah, you rock. Let's do this. Really supporting. And I was part of that Femme House with LP Joby was doing that. And that was amazing to see loads of amazing female artists in the scene. And I love doing that kind of stuff for sure. Let's talk about your new single, Down With Me Now. So how did this come about? And for any listeners who aren't aware of the contrast in skills between producing and DJing, why don't you enlighten them for me? So yeah, Down With Me was the first, my debut release, done really well, which is is super nice to see. So I produced this whole record and yeah, got my vocals, (laughs) vocals on there as well. It's, you know what, it's just a fun underground record. And I think that was my intention. There's always so much pressure, I think, well, there was for me to put out this first track. And I think there's only progression from here. Sometimes I listen to it and I'm like, "Mm, I'm not sure, but it's the first track. We'll see what comes from it. But yeah, produce the whole thing. And here it is. (laughs) There's not much more to say on it. DJ Jaguar gave it a play on her Radio 1 introducing show and you were also on the cover of Spotify's UK House playlist. Were they both quite big moments for you and what did they mean for your perhaps self-esteem or mental health as well? Oh, for sure. I mean, when I found out I was on the cover of the Spotify playlist, it was amazing because this playlist, like I listen to it all the time and even getting my track on there was amazing. But to see one of these pictures that was taken in my friend's house on the cover, it was just like, I still can't get over it. It's still just absolutely amazing. And then Jaguar playing it on Radio 1 introducing. It's honestly, I still can't. It's still like too good to be true sometimes because I released a single and I was just like oh god we'll just we'll see how it goes and it's just buzzing it's it's great and it's great to see the support I met Jaguar a couple of nights ago and she was just saying how lovely it is to meet new people and, and support people and I think that's what's so amazing about the dance music industry so yes it was big moments and how can I top that you know first single doing that but gave a lot of like mentally great self-esteem to be like again you can do this and I'm excited for the next single I'm excited to progress and we'll see where it goes but yeah super super exciting which outlet helps your mental health more do you think producing DJing or singing or songwriting good question I always produce sometimes it's bad because it will be god 1am I finish my Netflix series and I'll be like right I need to produce something and I'll be up to like 4am and it's so bad and I'll wake up and I'll be like right I'm going to produce it's sometimes an addiction and I'd say in that way it's bad and DJing if it's a live set that's what I love there's no pressures to do things it's just enjoy yourself but then I can get lost and when you've got a good song that you're producing I get lost in that and I love it but when you get into this loop of god this song isn't good or this isn't good and I've got 50 tracks in this folder and they're all rubbish (laughs) or you know there's good tracks in there (laughs) but producing is it takes time I was speaking to DJs actually a couple of nights ago about this and it's just like you don't realize how much time it takes because a track that sounds good it's not always you and I want to put out things that I love so it's hard and then the singing 
I mean, I singing, songwriting stuff, I don't do as much of it now. Do you know, in uni, I used to write a lot of commercial music, very chart music. And I just had a session with a guy called Will Sims. And he is amazing, amazing songwriter. He has solo projects as well. And he's just absolutely smashing it. But we got into the studio and we just produced what we felt like. And it was a super, super commercial record, chart commercial. It's not for my Amy L project, but doing that, it was just like the sense of there's no pressure. I'll just go in and write what I want. And I think it's important to acknowledge that sometimes just to not get stuck up on genre, whether that's Deep House or whether that's a progressive house track. Write what you want, put it into a folder and then who cares you know just enjoy writing it if you fancy singing a little song go and sing a song but it's hard to balance it sometimes for sure and just finally amy for anyone wanting to get into producing or making music or djing women especially what message or advice would you give them from your experience do you know what my advice would just be to believe in yourself and just go for it if there's any female now listening and you know having a session and thinking like oh you know I could potentially do this better or I could learn to do this just put yourself into the deep end and do it and you don't need to be perfect I'm still learning lots and lots of different things I'm always actively seeking advice from others and that's the whole thing of it you never know what you're doing I don't think anyone ever knows properly what you're doing so yeah just do it buy those decks Buy the wrong decks if you need to. Message me on Instagram what decks you should buy. Get the decks or get the speakers and just give it a whirl because you'll thank me for it when you get them. We've talked about Amy L, the DJ, producer, singer, songwriter extraordinaire. Let's go behind the decks and talk about your own journey, Amy. So why don't you tell me first about your early life, where you grew up in Dundee, your teenage years, and looking back, were there any early mental health experiences you can pinpoint? Who's the Amy we meet here? Big question. (laughs) So, I mean, I was born in America, Houston, Texas. Moved to Scotland when I was six I think and yeah been in Dundee ever since went to uni in Liverpool and then now now in the big London but you know I'm quite lucky because I've never really had any majorly big mental health things you know everyone goes through hardships in their life and hurdles I lost my dad when I was 12 which was definitely my biggest hurdle so far But it's getting over them and you go through stages of grief and that comes in and out of life. But it's dealing with them and just moving forward, which everyone has to do. Everyone has hardships. But here we are now in London. You spoke to me off air about losing your dad when you were 12, Amy. So we're not going to swim too deep in this memory for too long. But for you, what were some of your favourite memories of him? What was he like as a dad and as a person? And then how do you and your siblings and your mum carry his memory with you then and now as adults? There are so many memories. There's too many. And music-wise, just remember getting home from school and he'd just be blasting his tunes out. So that's a big, vivid memory. But God, just... Such a great guy, and it's a shame to think that he's not seeing my career or he's not here to be that person that I can talk to. And, you know, mum is so strong with it. She definitely glues. So the three of us, I've actually, I've got a twin that most people don't know. We don't look alike, but I do have a twin, and that's amazing. But, yeah, no, it was hard, but what can you do? We're all very close, and 
I annoy them with many questions on music and everything. So it's nice. But yes, there you go. I've discussed grief with a lot of guests, Amy. And the biggest thing I found is that grief is actually more stigmatised than mental health. Is that something you'd agree with? And if so, why do you think that is from your experience? Do you know what? Like not having like a mental health issue, I can't really comment completely. But all I can say is that grief is a deep thing. And it's something that crops up when you least suspect it to. But it's obviously trying to turn it around and make it nice so when I'm feeling down I try and think of the good things I try and read the good things he was a special guy he did a lot of special things and just remember that so yes it creeps up but hey like is what it is so I'm actually my top saying is what it is just now so <laughs> the great saying Given what you've achieved so far in music and in life and I'm sure you'll achieve in the future Amy if your dad was listening to this pod, and I'm sure he is somewhere, what do you think you would say to him? God, there's too many things I say to him, honestly. God, that's such a hard question. Do you know what? Like, the obvious thing, just thank him. Obviously, he's moulded me into the person I am today. One thing I wish is that, yeah, he could... Maybe he is hearing the music I'm putting out and all this, but he's always with me, you know, when I'm doing my sets and stuff. Yeah, there's too much to say. There's too much to say. And it's, that's a big question. But for sure, it's still, it's not forgetting. It's just remembering and bringing grief with you and accepting it. I'm right in saying that your mum is very into her music as well. And your sister works in acting. So you come from a very creative family. Do you think that was a factor in you being able to realise your music potential and go on this music journey you're on now? Yeah, do you know what? My mum is so supportive I love her actually she wanted to do music and her mom uh, didn't really let her <laughs> in the sense of like go get a real job kind of thing and I mean obviously in those times it was different so that's how it was but I think that's another reason why my mom is so supportive so when I first showed signs of wanting to learn guitar and do this she was very like right we'll get you some lessons we'll do this and when I said, you know, I want to study it, I want to do this, she was very open to it. And now she is as well. You know, I'm in London and I'm always calling her up and I'm speaking to her about it. As we said about the jobs a couple of weeks ago, I was like, God, you know what? I think I need to work. More. <laughs> I need to work more. I need to get some money. London is so expensive. And, you know, I had this conversation with her and she was like, look, you know, you're doing the music. You have to keep focus. And she's very much my rock of like, if I'm down, I will go speak to her. And obviously through this time where we can't have our live sets and the money is not flowing in, that's hard. But she's very supportive. And my sister, she does acting. And obviously at this time is extremely hard for her. She is very down at points. But again, we're very close. We speak to one another. So yeah, I think, I guess it was. She wanted to do acting. I wanted to do music. It didn't feel unrealistic going and studying something else we both went and took the plunge and said look hey we're probably going to be living in dustbins mom you're not going to have any money from us until god knows how many years but hey she supports it so good on her <laughs> so shout out to the amy l fam if they are listening one thing you wanted to discuss when we spoke off air as well amy is how hard you work on your craft and your music you said to me you are quite a self-confessed workaholic you found it quite hard to relax what did you mean by that? Is it a fear of complacency or just wanting to try and make the most of your musical talent? Yeah, I think 
probably a bit of both. I'm always actively producing and as well, yeah, putting pressure on myself to finish tracks, start new tracks. Genre I mentioned a little while ago was a big thing, thinking, you know what, I went through uni and everyone laughed at me because I'd go back and I'd say, I'd say to them, I'm going to go back to my flat and find my style. And it was like one of these quotes, like Amy's just go find her style because the thing is, it's like, the worst thing as well because I write so many different genres you know the other day I did a drum and bass track the other day I did a commercial track I'm not just one of these DJs that just writes tech house and sometimes I want to write this really melodic song and that sometimes is hard because I wish I could just write a one style and then be happy with it so yeah I definitely put pressure on myself I'm always always producing and I find it hard to balance and I think as well a lot of DJs or producers, sorry, they have a studio that they go to. So they have their life and then they go to their studio, maybe 12 to 6, and then they come home and they forget about music. And they can do music if they want. If you feel like it, don't be like, oh, God, I can't go and produce a song. But, you know, sometimes, as I said, you know, I'll finish my series and then I'll produce. And that's hard for sure. On a wider scale, you said to me that there is a lot of underground sadness and anxiety amongst people in the industry and this desire, or I guess anxiety as well, to make it, albeit success. Could you elaborate on that a bit for the listeners and and the impact that could have on people's mental health? Do you know what, definitely coming from a performing arts school where people go in at this young 18-year-old and they're like, yeah, I want to be famous, like I want to do this. That's just a vision that's not a thing because even these high-end people up there they're not living the dream life I mean some are god some have great amounts of money but even with that comes a lot of mental health issues there's always problems and especially with this dance music thing people that you meet whether they're big whether they've got thousands thousands of streams they're just a person and they're living the exact same life they're going to the studio they're making tunes that they like and they don't like and they're coming home and they're cooking god knows what for their tea do you know what I mean it's not it's understanding that wherever you are in the journey to enjoy that and right now where I am is going to be the same in a couple of years or it's understanding that and enjoying it because I think people put so much pressure on themselves to get to places and it's amazing to have those goals. Goals is one thing that I stand by. Definitely over lockdown, I had these goals and I smashed them. I got more than I exceeded them and that gives you that sense of buzz. But sometimes if you don't reach those goals, it's like sitting back and thinking, okay, well, what can I do to reach those goals? And so what? Do you know what I mean? So a lot of people just need to enjoy the process and I'm it's hard sometimes I don't do that because sometimes I'm really trying to smash out tunes and get releases out but definitely it's, it's enjoying it it's really important to do that and sit back and do that a big mental health mantra you try and live by Amy is this idea of living in the moment and being present to enjoy life it's something that I'm sure countless psychologists and therapists are telling their clients to practice why is it important to you and your mental health I guess kind of the reasons I said, like living in the moment just means you're not putting pressure on yourself. Mentally, you know, if you're reaching for goals that you don't reach, that's hard and that gets you down. But again, really important to have goals and everyone will say that. 
so living in the moment is just enjoying because if you you go about life and you are just trying to get to the next stage there's always going to be a next stage I don't think there's ever a point where you're sitting and you're okay with everything in life because people that have everything they won't even though their Instagrams look amazing they won't guarantee you I mean if they do well well done but I I doubt so so yeah live in the moment I do you know what? I need to do that more after speaking to you today I will then be like, God, yeah, I need to do that more. So it's just about realising that, definitely. And I think more people need to realise that. And just finally, how do you think all these experiences have shaped you into the person I'm speaking to now? And how do you look back on the Amy that went through all of those experiences? I mean, I have a lot of people that come to me for advice since uni because I've kind of smashed the game and where I've got to where I want to be and things are going well and I guess learning from you're not perfect there's not a set of rules just be confident in what you're doing if you like something put it out and yeah be confident in yourself I think that's the main thing because if you're not then people won't be confident in you and just to enjoy what you're doing honestly like the moment that I decided right I want to do this DJ thing I'm just going to do what I want I'm going to produce my own music I'm going to put out what I want that's when it all blew up and I mean I'm such a perfectionist and I still am Uh, I wish I wasn't but I am but enjoying the process and sitting back I do a lot more now but I'm always, there's still so many things to improve. So it's a continuous journey through life, isn't it? Getting deep about it. We've come to our final topic of conversation, Amy, and it's one I try and have with all my special guests, which is a general natter about our mental health. So firstly, you can include circumstances or exclude them, but how would you say your mental health is at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I've never had big mental health issues. Obviously, with this whole pandemic, it's hard. I'm not going out, you know, especially I went to an event a couple of nights ago and it's like, you can't dance. It ends at 10. It's just, that's very hard. But it's pulling through and getting back and producing some songs and taking the good from it because everyone right now, they're all a bit down. So it's working itself out but yeah generally it's fine at the moment yeah and what things do you find in life that might trigger your mental health so this could be things people might say sounds sensations environments or have you not figured all of them out yet yeah I haven't figured everything out yet but definitely producing when you're not getting how you want it to be which I've talked about sometimes that gets me down but sometimes it gets me really up. So it depends. Bad comments don't really affect me anymore. But God, if there were some really, really bad comments, I wouldn't say that they wouldn't get me down. It more gets me down when people message me and they're down about it. Do you know what I mean? Like it's triggers. Do you know what? I'm just quite lucky because I'm always positive And I think that's a good thing. I'm always having goals. And I'm if something's down, I think, well, what am I going to do about it? So I don't have lots of triggers, but hey, who knows? <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> and what tools and methods do you use in your own life to improve your mental health or help you feel better, music including or excluding? Which ones have you found that have worked and maybe which ones that haven't? So I always work out. I, I find that just like a sense of just 
getting away and pumping out, you know. But you know what? Even with that, it's bad because this is you're gonna laugh at this because if there's a music playlist on, if there's a song that comes on that I like, I will go and look at like I'll either go Shazam it, like I'm that person. It's so bad. I do workouts with my sister and she's like, stop it, Amy. So I find to not do that, I put on commercial music or actually there's some really good and you're going to laugh at this as well. There's some really good, more dancey workouts. And I swear, honestly, they do get you really working hard. It sounds a little bit like not good, but they have music on the stream and it's like not even dance music. It's God, there might be like an 80 song in there, but who knows? I could probably like the vocal and sample it. So it's just never getting away from it, but working out, going for a lot of runs, sometimes not even with music. I do find sometimes music does distract me, but I listen to a lot of different genres, listen to a lot of classical music actually, but maybe that's because I'm classically trained. And going out to events, I find DJ events are the best thing because it's just a sense of relief and fun. I used to not like it because, well, not not like it, but I used to overthink it because I'd go and I'd be like, right, what's this song? I was that Shazamming DJ. Yeah, I completely agree with you on being a music nerd because the amount of times I've Shazam tracks in random places or I've heard a soundtrack on a video game and I've found it out from like the 90s or something is quite insane. So I'm always discovering new stuff and I have a very weird, insatiable desire to like, once I hook onto a genre, I'll go through every single song, I'll crate dig through every single artist, I'll buy a book on it, I'll read the whole history of it. And I'd be like, cool, I'm done with that. It's like I've done catch up. And then once new things come in, I'm like, okay, I can add that to that playlist. 100% understand what you mean. My sister hates me for it, honestly. (laughs) And how do you support friends in your own social group who may have mental health issues themselves or maybe going through a poor period of mental health, whether that be men or women? I guess just reaching out. And as we said about the socials, even when someone looks like they're doing really well, that could be the time that they're not doing well because they're sat in the house, maybe depression, God knows, and they're actively posting because they want it to look like they're doing well. So don't always assume. And yeah, just checking in on people, just even if that's just a story reply, just something as small, like, oh, I hope you're doing well, like things like that. I don't try and always be like, oh, you're smashing it because saying that to someone, they're maybe smashing the music game, but are they smashing everything else? I tend to be like, do you know what? It looks like you're doing really well. Like, like how are you doing? I try and do that a lot commenting on people's instagrams as well just still just checking in on people that's the main thing that i'm doing phone calls and voice messages i just feel like you can get things across a lot easier than just sometimes texting and if they don't reply then hey look you've reached out maybe they're going through a time where they can't reply but if you've checked in then that's the main thing you name checked the podcast four times there without realizing so that was some sick brand recognition for me what more Do we have to do, do you think, as a final question, to ensure people from all backgrounds, genders, sexualities feel comfortable and safe in opening up about their mental health issues or their mental health if they want to? So, yeah, I think that's a big question. I think there's always going to be more things that we can do. And it's always going to be sort of a touchy subject. A lot of people are closed, like closed books about opening up. I know that I am very closed, but... The more people that you can talk to, the more podcasts that you can listen to and accepting just, I guess, being confident in yourself. And I think that's the main thing. We are 
in a culture where this is right and this is wrong. And I think that's always changing. And being confident and thinking like, this is me, this is who I am. I feel good about it. And that's a hard thing. And I think that will always be a hard thing. But just accepting that. Well, I think that's all we've got time for on this episode of Behind the Decks. I want to say a big thank you to Amy for being my special guest on this episode and letting me go Behind the Decks with her. That single we discussed, Down With Me, will play us out and I'll put some links to where you can follow Amy on social media, stream her music or book her for your next event in the description of the pod. As always, thank you to all the vendors who've tuned in. Remember, if you've liked what you've heard, please give this a share on all the usual social media channels, tell your friends or work colleagues about it or give us a rating and a review on iTunes. Stay tuned for the next episode of Behind the Decks. And remember, it's always okay to vent. And I said no.